Hello, and thank you for joining us today for Frost & Sullivan's latest webinar. Today's event is titled Fluid Power 4.0, Smart Industrial Internet of Things. Enabled Fluid Power Solutions, Create New Business Models, and Investment Opportunities. My name is Anna, and I oversee Frost & Sullivan's Growth Innovation and Leadership Briefings. Today's presenter is Varun Raman, Research Analyst here for our Industrial Automation and Process Control Practice at Frost & Sullivan. His biography can be viewed on your screen at this time. He has a deep understanding of the digital transformation and technology convergence. And uh, he also um, has expertise in the fluid power equipment and system integrators in developing growth strategies. You can follow him on his LinkedIn page. And with that, I would now like to hand the presentation over to Varun. Please begin. Thank you, Anna. Uh, you know, good morning, good afternoon, good evening to our various uh, viewers uh, who are here for the Frost & Sullivan briefing on uh, you know, Fluid Power 4.0. Uh, specifically uh, where the premise of this uh, webinar uh, is to detail the uh, the impact of the industrial internet of things on the fluid power industry and how uh, you know the IIoT is is expected to ensure the survival of the fluid power industry against increasing encroachment from electric drives so uh, as Anna mentioned I'm Varun and I'm the research analyst who's been working in the fluid power domain here at Frost and Sullivan and you know, if we look at today's uh, focus points, you know, we're going to be talking first of all about the state of the industry, and then we're also going to be focusing on uh, digital transformation. We're going to be looking at the services landscape and how some of the digital services are being offered, uh, specifically for fluid power equipment, and what are the implications that these would have on uh, you know manufacturers of fluid power equipment, system integrators who use various uh, different types of fluid power equipment to build machines for the end users. And finally, we're also going to be looking at the implications for the end users themselves. Uh, and then we'll also talk about the customer journey where we'll be discussing uh, a few customer success stories on how uh, implementation of uh, you know IIoT concepts has uh, brought them success in their respective uh, domain. So moving forward to the state of the industry, uh, you know, based on Frost and Sullivan's extensive uh, market analysis, you know we currently see that the total fluid power equipment uh, market uh, is currently worth $52.67 billion. This is for 2018. And if we look at how this market size is split across the various regions, you know, we see that Europe, Middle East, and Africa is the largest region, accounting for over 40% of the global revenue, followed by North America, uh, which accounts for a little under 30% of the global revenue. We also see that Asia-Pacific uh, accounts for a little under a quarter of the global revenue, with the remaining 6% uh, percent, uh, being accounted for by Latin America. And uh, we also see that within fluid power, you know, we have hydraulics and pneumatics, and the split between these two uh, is heavily in favor of hydraulics, with more than three quarters of the uh, fluid power revenue being attributed to hydraulics, and about 23% being attributed to pneumatics. Uh, you know, in terms of uh, the growth trajectory for the 
these respective markets, if you think of them as separate markets. You know, we see that pneumatics has much stronger growth uh, going forward, especially in uh, Asia Pacific and North America. And, you know, this is going to result in a slight tilt uh, towards pneumatics. Um, you know, maybe not too much, uh, but maybe from 23% to in the next five years, we can see that number going up to maybe 25 or 26%. Uh, but hydraulics is still going to account for uh, more than three quarters of, uh, or nearly three quarters of the global market. And if we look at the competitive landscape for fluid power equipment uh, in terms of the, the top five manufacturers of fluid power equipment, we see that it's quite competitive at the top uh, with Bosch Rexroth and Parker Hanfin uh, having very close market shares, 11.7% for Bosch Rexroth and 11.5% for Parker Hanfin. And then we have SMC Corporation, who's a manufacturer of pneumatic equipment, uh, in third place with over 6.5%. And then we have Eaton Corporation uh, with 5% market share, and then Festo very close behind with 4.9% market share. Uh, SMC and Festo, as you may know, are purely pneumatic equipment uh, manufacturers. Uh, Parker Hannifin Corporation offers the full spectrum of fluid power equipment uh, catering to uh, pneumatics, mobile hydraulics, as well as industrial hydraulics. And then you have Bosch, Rexroth, and Eden Corporation, who are predominantly hydraulic uh, equipment suppliers. And then moving forward, we also, you know, some of the ch major challenges and trends that we see in this industry. So the biggest challenge for fluid power domain as a whole is the electrification of fluid power applications. So this has great ramifications in terms of uh, you know, the applications that are being catered to currently by fluid power equipment. Um, you know, while uh, fluid power is very effective in terms of offering high power density, particularly in the case of hydraulics and in the case of pneumatics for some types of uh, you know, factory automation equipment, uh, you know, uh, there is a, a tendency for a lot of end users to migrate towards electric technology. And, uh, you know, this has also been encouraged to some extent by the system integrators, um, you know, because they see uh, electric, electric solutions as a cleaner solution. So with fluid power, often the uh, biggest uh, challenges in dealing with uh, fluid leaks, so oil in the case of hydraulics and air in the case of uh, pneumatics, uh, both of these have, uh, you know, energy efficiency ramifications. So electrification is seen as, uh, you know, a way to counter that, you know, to offer a much cleaner solution. And then specifically, uh, in, you know, if you look at factory equipment, uh, the faster changeovers, more flexibility that some end users demand these days, are better catered to by electric solutions. Um, but then, uh, you know, there is also the other fact, which is. Uh, electric solutions often tend to be more expensive compared to fluid power uh, solutions. Uh, but then, you know, if we look at the number of greenfield opportunities, they're almost predominantly being catered to by electric solutions, whereas uh, fluid power still continues to, you know, have its advantages in brownfield facilities, where the cost of conversion plays a role in slowing down some of this electrification. So brownfield facilities are also where, uh, you know, IIoT has the greatest potential, uh, primarily because of the fact that it can help improve existing processes uh, and help reduce operating costs. Um, so then we have the other challenge uh, for fluid power equipment, which is shortage of skilled workers. So this 
uh, you know, is is uh, is something that you can see in a number of manufacturing industries. Uh, particularly in the case of fluid power, we see that uh, the retirement of baby boomers, you know, who uh, who are predominantly working in the fluid power industry, so their retirement has not been, uh, you know, addressed by the fluid power equipment manufacturers, uh, primarily because uh, you know young graduates are not seeing fluid power as a very attractive industry. Uh, you know, there isn't the same pull that you have with fluid power that some of the other industries, perhaps like uh, semiconductors and more electrified mechatronics industries, possess. Uh, so, you know, that is an, an issue that is, it's, it's, the, it's, it's a global issue, so it's not limited to any particular region. Uh, and this shortage also has the effect of, you know, uh, it, it has an effect on the innovative solutions that are being produced by fluid power equipment manufacturers. So the fact that we can have more uh, skilled uh, workers who have a broad range of skills, particularly, you know, digital skills, you know, which are in high demand these days. So with more digital skills, um, you know, they are looking at coming up with more uh, digital and more innovative solutions. So, um, you know, until that shortage has been addressed to a reasonable extent, uh, this is going to still remain a major challenge for the fluid power industry. And then we also have price war and penetration of low-cost fluid power equipment. Uh, penetration of low-cost fluid power equipment has been encouraged to an extent uh, because of uh, the fact that, um, you know, fluid power equipment can be thought of as commoditized products. So often uh, when it comes to the differentiating factors uh, among different manufacturers, cost is often the major uh, you know, differentiating factor, especially when from an OEM standpoint. And uh, you know, uh, OEMs and distributors tend to go with the uh, stock up with the uh, equipment that offers the best cost uh, you know, economics for them. Uh, often at the cost of quality, so this has uh, this strains the uh, margins for some of the fluid power equipment manufacturers because the prices of raw materials have been going up, uh, and you know so that that puts a strain. And then you have low cost fluid power equipment coming in from you know other regions with lower manufacturing costs. So you know the bigger manufacturers are also forced to compete on price and lower their uh, products, and you know they. Lower the price of their products. So this this is a considerable challenge that has uh, you know yet to be completely addressed. Uh, and then, if we look at the trends, though, you know, greater electronic integration of fluid power equipment. So this ties in directly to the electrification, where this is seen as the counter to that challenge, uh, particularly for brownfield facilities, where uh, some of the aging equipment needs to be replaced. Uh, going with uh, fluid power equipment that has greater electronic integration, therefore more better connectivity, uh, more intelligence built directly into the components such as your valves, actuators, uh, pumps, and so on. Uh, you know that helps with getting more data. That helps. Uh, uh, you know, with more data, you also have it can also enable analytics, and then you know you also have a chance to improve your system efficiency. Uh, because that is one of the Achilles, the, the biggest Achilles heel for fluid power, uh, is its energy efficiency compared to uh, you know electric uh, technologies. So this is a trend that is uh, that's been happening for a while, but it's going to continue. It's going to accelerate in the future, uh, and then we see hydraulic hybridization of machines. So this one is quite specific to uh, you know, hydraulics, uh, particularly mobile hydraulics where in the case of off-highway vehicles, 
you know, uh, and, uh, of their, some of the off-highway vehicle manufacturers are uh, you know, expected to follow the example of the automotive industry and where uh, they're looking to you know, increase the, the number of hybrid vehicles that they sell every year. Uh, so mainly driven by emissions regulations. Uh, and so, but some of the challenges in that area, you know, include the, remain the fact that uh, electric uh, hybrids, uh, you know, from an infrastructure standpoint, the ele infrastructure to support electric hybrids uh, does not entirely exist in the case of off-highway vehicles because they often tend to work in remote uh, locations. Uh, and then, you know, battery technology has also not uh, developed or evolved to the point where they can sustainably power these uh, heavy, uh, you know, heavy machines for a long time. Uh, so until that can happen, you know, emissions regulations are not going away. So manufacturers, you know, off-highway vehicle manufacturers still need to find solutions to these challenges. And hydraulic hybridization is something that's come up recently, and it's expected to accelerate over the next few years. So, with the use of accumulators in, uh, as, a, as, a, as a sort of battery to store hydraulic energy and release it when required, uh, that is proven in a lot of cases to improve fuel economy by 10%, 15% uh, in some cases. So, that that is a big improvement, uh, and so we're going to see more manufacturers uh, you know, follow that. And then we also see component-level IoT implementation. So when IoT first came up, you know, there was a lot of talk where some of the biggest end users, the biggest uh, you know, competitors, manufacturers, manufacturers in every field, take it food, beverage, uh, retail, not retail, food and beverage, and you know, automotive industry, and all these major end user industries, uh, they went with a enterprise level IoT implementation. Now that might work for the largest manufacturers who have multiple manufacturing facilities across multiple countries. And so for their scale, an enterprise level IoT uh, solution would work. Uh, you know, but you, uh, that solution may not necessarily work for every single uh, you know, end user of across the lower tiers. So tier two and tier three end users uh, you know, would not be seen as early adopters of IoT technology primarily because of the fact that they didn't want to implement expensive enterprise-level IoT uh, solutions. But we are seeing a pickup in the number of component-level IoT solutions that are being offered, uh, where some of the analytics and IoT-related concepts are being implemented at the product level, at the component level. So you have uh, intelligence built into pneumatic valves, into hydraulic valves, into hydraulic pumps, so that uh, you know all the necessary information and necessary improvement that is that is being done to that particular component. So that is something that is starting to pick up uh, across a number of end user industries, and this is also uh, you know expected to get more people on board uh, in the whole IoT movement, uh, particularly because they can then start to see the uh, the improvements that they can get from one component, and then you know that acts as a pilot trial and you know validation of the proof of concept, which they can then extend to other systems, and then across other manufacturing facilities that they may have. Uh, so you know moving forward, you know we have when you come to digital transformation. So this is the digital transformation roadmap uh, that Frost and Sullivan sees for IoT, especially with fluid power. So you know starting. With Industry 4.0 IoT, you know we're talking about digitalization. So digitalization talks about 
the digital transformation happening across a number of end markets. And this is, you know, this also encompasses the set of technologies that enable, drive, and accelerate digital transformation, thereby creating more businesses and more business opportunities uh, across, you know, the value chain. Uh, the industrial Internet of Things uh, and some of its associated concepts such as big data, data analytics, uh, cloud solutions, mobility, cybersecurity, uh, cognitive computing. So the Industrial Internet of, the Internet of Things is the most impactful uh, of them all. And then we also have uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. So machine learning is, can be thought of as a subset of artificial intelligence where uh, systems have the ability to automatically learn and improve from experience without being explicitly programmed by leveraging the machine data and combining with existing enterprise data. You know, a new generation of applications can be enabled that are able to analyze, uh, acquire insights from large volumes of multi-structured machine data and then take action on their own. So with more data being made available and uh, improvement in the prediction uh, you know abilities of these systems you know results are going to improve then we have smart telematics and digital platforms so uh, telematics is something that is already being implemented uh, across mobile hydraulics particularly in the off highway vehicle sector which is among the biggest end users for uh, mobile hydraulics so you know we have legislation where uh, electronic devices are installed on every vehicle to enable uh, you know, G GPS uh, tracking, geolocation, and other uh, factors. So by introducing intelligence into the system, you know, with smart telematics, we are now going to move into a scenario where, you know, maintenance is not going to be driven purely by, uh, you know, manufacturer recommendations, but maintenance is going to be driven by the data that we're collecting. So, you know, instead of, you know, changing oil or, you know, doing any maintenance for, for, for based on the number of operating hours, it's going to be determined by the actual machine condition. So this is an area where, especially for fleet uh, managers, you know, companies that operate fleets of off-highway equipment, this is going to be a game changer. And then we have digital platforms. Uh, in the case of digital platforms, you know, organizations are integrating and applying digital technologies uh, you know, to create fundamental changes at all levels of business operations. So by leveraging the latest technologies, you know, businesses can achieve greater success, drive innovation, and gain a competitive advantage. So digital platforms is not just a way to improve their business, but also to acquire a, a differentiation uh, compared to their competitors. And this we can see across uh, all industries, uh, particularly where you know the internal and customer-facing processes need to be streamlined uh, for smoother operation. Uh, then we have the second transformative force, which is shift from CAPEX to OPEX. Uh, so this is particularly true for IT and software, uh, where companies you know, who are already having a strain because of significant IT budgets. Uh, and so this is the way where some of their core competencies are in business. Uh, and so they're starting to look at which uh, aspects that they can do themselves and which aspects can be outsourced to someone else. Uh, and then, you know, by moving to an OPEX model where it's a service-driven economy, you know, they're looking to cut down on their outright capital expenditures, uh, but then, you know, shift it to an OPEX model where they are, you know, shelling out the amount uh, every year. I know it's like an annual subscription, uh, but they still get the services. So this presents a win-win scenario for both the service providers as well as the end users. Uh, then we look at the third uh, 
transformative force, which is the movement from layer to network architecture. So initially, we had a number of solutions that uh, were primarily proprietary solutions. Uh, so the, there is a movement towards adopting open standards, particularly so that interoperability of equipment is no longer an issue. Then we also have adopt adaptive OT cybersecurity. So cybersecurity obviously is one of the uh, biggest factors and in fact one of the major uh, stumbling points where, when it comes to IoT adoption. So with you know increase in cybersecurity and you know better you know making sure that uh, preventing cyber attacks, you know that's one of the major uh, forces that are driving IoT. Then we have digital threads and edge analytics. So in the case of edge analytics, we see that uh, you know these edge like I said, this ties into the component level implementation, where the edge analytics is being done at the component level itself rather than uh, you know at, at an enterprise level. So that is one that is that is the third transformative force. Then the fourth transformative force we see are new business models. So with the way uh, IoT is transforming everything, you know, so many digital technologies coming in, technology convergence, and all that. You know, to even the way business is being done has to, you know, adapt, you know, with the new way of thinking. So some of the emerging business models we see there is a shift uh, from purely fixed product-driven business to more services-driven and also outcome-driven business models. Uh, so this is something that is happening across a number of industries, and, you know, we see that having a great uh, effect over here as well. And we see that having impl implications for how fluid power service is going to evolve over the next uh, five to 10 years. Then we have the fifth transformative force, which is factories of the future. Uh, so this is one of the biggest transformative forces that everybody is talking about. We have, we see cognitive factories uh, where, um, you know, with manufacturing entering its fourth uh, revolution. So with industry 4.0, which is the buzzword on everybody's lips, uh, we see cognitive factories, machine protocol landscapes. So everything is turning digital. Everything is becoming smart. Uh, collaborative robots where humans and robots are working uh, in tandem with each other. So you know, it's not a case of robots replacing machine workers, but rather supporting uh, human workers. Uh, and then we have augmented reality, which uh, we expect to see. Uh, you know, we expect a lot of traction to happen over there uh, in the future, particularly in terms of maintenance where this is going to help simplify maintenance, it's going to uh, help augment the new, you know, the revenue streams of service providers, and then you have smart servicing, which is going to be data-driven uh, servicing. So this ties in with the smart telematics as well, but more on a factory level. And then we have the sixth transformative force, which is the shift from site functional excellences to enterprise-scale uh, rollouts, uh, or multi-scale rollouts. So with uh, you know, IoT picking up, uh, we see that um, with more component-level implementation, that is going to then, uh, you know, go across multiple components being, uh, you know, IoT-enabled at the factory level, and then multiple systems being IoT-enabled at the factory level, and then eventually with the benefits that each piece factory is going to be uh, bringing year on year, you know, we expect this project to then be extended to other factories across and uh, you know the revenue, the uh, increased revenue that end users are expected to see over the years, the increased cash flow that they can reap from the you know reduction in operating costs uh, over the years. So that is something that is eventually going to you know transform the whole landscape here. And then you know we talk about traditional troubleshooting. Uh, you know in terms of the factory maintenance, 
uh, especially in the case of pneumatics, hydraulics, you know, the biggest challenges that uh, a lot of end users report are, uh, include the fact that maintenance is expensive, resource intensive, and complex. So in, the, in particular, when we talk about troubleshooting, uh, in terms, so if we take the example of pneumatic equipment, uh, the biggest uh, expense in the case of pneumatic systems is the electricity cost from running the compressors. And in the case, uh, you know, in case there is a, there's an air leak in the system, you know, troubleshooting for the source of that air leak is often a very expensive process uh, because, you know, a lot of uh, manufacturing plants tends to have hundreds, uh, even 500s of valves. Uh, and so, you know, trying to triangulate the source of that air leak is not just expensive, but a resource-intensive process. You're going to have maintenance personnel looking at every single valve uh, in the factory and then trying to identify the source of that leak. And so this also complicates maintenance. Uh, and then this also results in a scenario where sometimes, you know, the wrong valve is replaced. We've heard situations where uh, despite constant replacements, uh, you know, sometimes the problem is not solved because there is some other issue uh, which is central to why the air is leaking in the first place. Uh, some of the uh, ways uh, end users have, uh, you know, resulted to this is to have annual air audits, where every year, you know, they have, they go through a complete check of their airlines uh, using laser technologies and everything. Uh, but this, you know, is not a foolproof process, and often, you know, while in some cases it might bring benefits, it's not the best way to troubleshoot. Uh, so in this case, you know, we see uh, digital technology is playing a major role. So we have, you know, you have dashboards, you have the cloud systems, you have AI machine learning, you have sensors, you have connected devices, temperature sensors, and then you have wireless technology. So all of this, when enabled, can, you know, do the same job of troubleshooting in a much, much faster manner than the traditional methods. So in the case of the same example where you have hundreds of different of, uh, hundreds of valves operating uh, in a factory uh, environment, so you know there are various sensors attached to each uh, pneumatic valve that are constantly measuring the airflow and other various parameters of uh, the valves, and then you know when leak is detected uh, in any particular valve, you know that is immediately flagged and the maintenance personnel can immediately look at that. Um, and then attend that, attend to that, and then fix the problem. You know, either by you know fixing the leak itself or by changing the valve. You know, whichever uh, is is the solution at the time. But the so data-driven troubleshooting saves time, it saves expense, it saves effort, and uh, you know, with energy efficiency being the biggest uh, problem for fluid power systems, uh, the amount of uh, energy consumption that you know the energy savings that each plant has reported by using uh, digital technologies and smart pneumatic systems. It's, it's an improvement of at least 20, 30% in a lot of cases, which especially in North America where you have the Better Plants program where the Department of Energy, uh, you know, Department of Energy gives out incentives and uh, plants are being uh, awarded and you know, rewarded for their, their efforts in reducing, uh, you know, energy consumption and improving uh, CO2 emissions. So this is something that uh, can help in, a, in this scenario. 
and this is also applicable to hydraulics uh, where you know in not just on the factory level but if you look at mobile hydraulics the various sensors and everything you know we can it can help uh, identify the source of the problems much quicker you know not just in terms of leaks but also in terms of uh, you know the condition of the components themselves uh, you know so, so predicting failure uh, that is seems to be the biggest uh, driver for adoption of uh, you know digital technologies and then we have the first poll question over to you Anna Thank you, Varun. Audience, I have just pushed out our first poll question, which is what stage is your organization with respect to IIoT implementation? So we'll leave this open, and if you can uh, take a moment to uh, select your answer, and we'll reveal the results at the end of the session. Over to you, Varun. Thank you, Anna. So moving forward, you know, we have digital services where we're going to be talking about the services landscape. Uh, so, the services transformation slide. So, this is a typical example of how the services uh, landscape is in, 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 in the fluid power industry. So, we have the, uh, let's say, OEM, the manufacturer of the fluid power equipment. And then that is often sold to the customer through a distributor. And then whenever there is a service request that comes in, it usually goes to the distributor. And then... Uh, depending on the nature of the uh, you know, service request, the distributor decides, you know, to, whether to uh, perform the service uh, themselves or to involve the manufacturer. And now this process is not only time-consuming because they have to identify the issues, understand it, and then decide whether to involve the uh, original equipment manufacturer. Uh, but then it's also not necessary that uh, you know the problem itself can be fixed quickly and then service and then there are service contracts and then so this is often not a simple process it's not necessarily uh, an inexpensive process as well uh, where so, you know the where digital technologies can help over here is the fact that you have all your assets uh, at the machines on your at, your at your factory level or even your mobile machines where you have all the assets connected so those are constantly collecting data. Uh, so there's a mountain of data that is being generated on a daily basis, which is also then pushed through cloud storage uh, to a, through a gateway where these are constantly being analyzed by uh, AI and machine learning programs. So with analytics, it is uh, you know possible for a service request to only be placed when it is absolutely necessary. So this way, you know, service is no longer, you know, just driven just by the distributor, but then is driven by the, anal uh, you know, analytics. So data-driven analytics is going to transform the way the, uh, you know, the services industry operates, particularly for fluid power equipment, and you know, the installed base of uh, you know, sensors and other connected assets are constantly going up. So the digital coverage is also increasing. And uh, you know this is going to be of great benefit to end users, particularly uh, you know because the, they can vastly simplify their maintenance. They can time it perfectly so that you know with advanced knowledge of when their machine might fail, they can time their uh, you know shutdowns in such a way that they have minimal uh, downtime, uh, and then that also helps improve their bottom line. It helps improve their uh, re increase uh, reduce their operating costs. And then also, you know, with proper servicing, uh, you know, it's it's the machines are always in good condition, and sometimes that also helps them uh, improve their productivity. 
This way, you know, their products acquire a good reputation in the market. It helps augment their revenues. So, you know, there are so many advantages that can be uh, taken out of the digital transformation of the services landscape. So this is something that Sauce and Sullivan is, uh, you know, looking at. And also this is an area where we can help, uh, particularly because of our expertise in talking to both the OEMs, the distributors, as well as the end users, so that we have all perspectives and you know we can sort of bridge the gap between all three of them. And then we look at the evolution of business models. So, uh, you know, we have three business models uh, outlined here on the slide. So we have a products-driven model, a services-driven model, and then an outcome-driven model. So in the case of the products-driven model, so we see that the standard products. Uh, are often commoditized products, and then you know, so the pricing in this case is target driven. So this is purely a capex model where some service uh, is done either by the distributor or uh, you know it could be done by the manufacturer themselves in the case of a custom product. Uh, but then the, the you know maintenance is, is purely reactive based on when the end user requires maintenance, and so the differentiation here for this model is simply boils down to the quality of product. So the focus here is not on the service, but on the product itself. Uh, in the case of the services-driven model, you know, we have uh, you know, the offering where it's a product combined with the customized service, uh, and then the you know, response is simultaneous over the air updates. So the service provider or the manufacturer who's providing the service uh, you know, follows up constantly with the end user, you know, in order to determine service needs. Uh, pricing is based on the customer's KPIs. And so this is not a CAPEX model, but more of an OPEX model where, uh, you know, the services are designed to ensure that the product continues to function, uh, you know, to the best of the best it can to, to prolong asset life. And then the differentiation, main differentiating factor over here is customer experience. Uh, where you know the maintenance itself is is preventive, so it's done on time. Uh, sometimes maintenance, uh, the slight disadvantage over here, is that you know if the assets are not completely connected, you know they could you know be doing maintenance much earlier than actually required. Uh, whereas if they're using data to uh, dictate their service uh, needs, then that's a more uh, accurate way of uh, you know servicing the machines based on the requirement. And then we have the outcome-based solutions where the offering is actually a personalized value. So it's not to do with the product or the service itself, but rather the outcome where the pricing itself is outcome-driven. So the contracts dictate that uh, the service provider gets paid depending on the nature of the outcome. So whenever the particular outcome is reached or whenever a particular goal is reached, that's when the uh, you know, amount is released to the service provider. So this is an OPEX or a profit-sharing model where you know specific outcomes can you know create uh, can result can drive profit margins and then you know this profit from this profit margin you have uh, the amount that's shared between with the service provider. Uh, in this case, the need uh, maintenance is proactive because outcome uh, you know dictates that you know the service provider has to achieve a certain outcome whether it is an improvement in asset life whether it is uh, you know, reduction in uh, system energy consumption by 10% or whatever is the outcome dictated in the contract, uh, you know, 
everything is done based on the you know the best available uh, products that they have they have to capture a lot of data and so you know the differentiation over here is the outcome on you know what what is the outcome that needs to be achieved so at the moment most of the uh, business models being adopted by uh, you know customers in this industry tend to be a mix of product driven and some are services driven uh, but then we are starting to see a, a bit of a movement towards outcome driven models particularly where uh, you know people are interested in reducing the cost of hardware itself and are okay with paying a recurring subscription fee for software uh, as long as they are achieving their outcomes so that tends to be a win-win for both the service provider as well as the uh, end user and so if you look at the implications that this has across the value chain so for the manufacturers uh, you know it is a chance for them to push through their digital components uh, so where their components themselves have uh, a good amount of electronic integration and a lot of digital services or digital applications built in uh, to the product itself. And this helps, uh, you know, with product and service differentiation, which helps them stand out from some of their competitors, uh, particularly as this is a very competitive market and, uh, you know, where often people compete on price. So this is a good way to distinguish themselves and you know it also helps them charge a premium for certain products. Uh, in the case of the OEM system integrators, uh, you know people who build complete systems or machine builders, uh, the OPEX model particularly uh, has uh, you know the advantage of bringing with it a recurring subscription fee. So with the cost of hardware dropping you know for sensors and other peripherals that are being used to enable IoT solutions, uh, you know, people are focusing on the software, on the on the power of data, uh, to monetize data, uh, in order to you know use analytics to dictate their maintenance needs. So the recurring subscription fee uh, helps augment revenue streams for the system integrators, and it also helps bring greater customer. It also helps them offer greater customer value. Uh, in the case of end users who are the users of fluid power equipment, you know, analytics-driven maintenance as opposed to preventative maintenance or may you know a fixed schedule maintenance uh, vastly plays a role in keeping uh, asset downtime to a minimum so they are able to run their machines longer they're able to run their machines better uh, and then also they're able to plan their maintenance shutdowns better so this helps reduce operating costs this helps improve their productivity and then with it they can also have a total overhaul of plant operations as they start to extend these technologies to more systems and uh, more uh, assembly lines across uh, a manufacturing plant. So, you know, these are some of the biggest implications that we have across this value chain. Uh, and then, you know, we, over to you, Anna, for the next poll question. Thank you, Varun. Our second poll question is, what are the biggest challenges you face in developing and delivering digital solutions? So we'll uh, leave this open and uh, back to you, Varun. Okay, over to you, Varun. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. So moving forward, you know, we have a customer journey. So we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, the customer segmentation and also some of the uh, customer success stories that we have seen. So we primarily segment the customers into, you know, non-digitizers, selective digitizers, and enterprise digitizers. So non-digitizers are the companies that are, uh, you know, they have not yet uh, adopted uh, IoT solutions. 
mainly because some of the challenges include the cost of modernization, so they might not be uh, a big enough uh, player in their respective field in order to be able to, uh, you know, justify the cost uh, part of things, uh, and you know, so they they would not be able to. Uh, you know, be able to spend that money on that. And then also, this also has to do with capital availability. They might not be able to invest in these technologies, or they might be running outdated systems, so IT and OT integration is, remains a very big challenge. Uh, so for these uh, sort of customers, you know, key focus areas, number one is to shift from paper-based operations to digital operations. So with the implementation of more ERP, CRM systems, and dig other digital systems, you know, they're going to have to first uh, look at their supply chain and also for, you know, from then on, then focus on critical areas and assets for digitization. So, you know, if they want to get on the uh, IoT movement and start to see what are the big difference that they can get from, uh, you know, adopting IoT solutions, uh, then, you know, they're going to have to focus on the most critical areas, uh, the most critical assets where they would want to get the most amount of data, where they would want to drive the biggest uh, improvements in the way that machine operates, in the way the, and, you know, energy consumption is reduced, productivity, and all the other benefits that they want to see from IoT. Uh, so that is going to be also that helps act as a pilot project so that the benefits that they can see from that can then be extended to other assets uh, across their plant. And then obviously we have affordable digital innovation. So that's going to be their key focus area where, you know, not just uh, not just about getting a critical asset uh, looked at, but also how they can do it in an affordable and a cost-effective way. Uh, then we have the selective digitizers who are companies that are adopting some level of IoT uh, you know, concepts. They have some I IoT implementation already going in their respective uh, factories and manufacturing locations. So for them, the biggest challenges would be siloed value chain. So they have digital implementations, but then they have digital silos. Uh, so they're operating, you know, each department is operating separately, so there isn't a wholesome integration yet. Uh, that can then drive a bigger uh, change in terms of the way they operate. Change management still remains a challenge where certain uh, departments are very open to new technologies, whereas some departments are very conservative. So in terms of you know breaking through that conservative mentality and bringing about a change in the way the company operates, so that remains a challenge. And then there is lack of enterprise-wide visibility. So this could be where... Uh, they might have multiple manufacturing facilities, but then, you know, they have a difference in mentality across the different plants so that some plants are more digitally, uh, you know, savvy compared to some of the other uh, manufacturing locations that they have. So for them, the key focus areas would be to first break these digital silos so that they have a company-wide uh, policy in terms of uh, IoT and they, they are able to, you know, get on board uh, completely uh, with the whole digital digitalization of their, their manufacturing facilities, moving to hybrid models. So it's not just looking at product-driven or service-driven models, but looking at a combination of um, you know, uh, these business models where uh, you know, there might be certain business cases where one business model would work and other business cases where other business models would be better for them. So it's about evaluating those business cases and doing you know, justifying the cost economics. 
uh, and also another key focus area, particularly in the case of the component themselves, so would be to improve valve or actuator geometry. Uh, so this is something that we hear a lot from uh, companies that are adopting some level of IoT solutions uh, because they're starting to see some of the benefits. They are looking at how they can improve uh, the geometry of the valves and actuators, thereby improving the flow, thereby changing the way the valves operate, thereby reducing energy consumption. Uh, and then this is also an area where additive manufacturing comes into play. A lot of companies are starting to, uh, you know, tinker with additive manufacturing technologies uh, so that they can, uh, you know, get uh, valves and actuators with geometries that you could not possibly get with traditionally machined uh, uh, products. So this this is a this is another area that some companies are focusing on. And then we have the enterprise digitizers, who are the large companies who have adopted enterprise-wide uh, IoT solutions. So they have mountains of data generated, mole heights of insights, but for some, the challenges remains, you know, what to do with the data. So a lot of companies are generating a lot of data, but then, but you know, it's it's often the case where they don't need that much data to actually, you know, implement whatever they need in order to achieve, in order to, you know, achieve what they want to achieve. Uh, so this also has to do with the fact that uh, a lot of the data processing analytics is done in-house. So because of IP or various other uh, issues that they do not necessarily uh, partner with a lot of IoT-specific companies. Uh, so this is uh, you know, a challenge that needs to be addressed for these large-scale enterprise digitizers. And then we have legacy investment, uh, so where so even though they have large-scale IoT uh, implementation, that's often done on legacy equipment. And so, you know, if they're able to actually upgrade to more intelligent equipment that have that has more built-in solutions, which can then be networked with their existing IoT-level solutions, they might be able to, you know, improve the accuracy of their predictive analytics and also be able to do it in a simpler manner. So for these companies, key focus areas tend to be enterprise rollout of initiatives. So it is about extending whatever they roll out across various uh, locations that they have, uh, and then use of machines to analyze data and augment human intelligence. So often is uh, the case where a lot of data is generated and they're using uh, analytics uh, to sort of improve their predictive maintenance. So it's not just uh, to improve predictive maintenance, but also to improve the human factor here where uh, in a lot of cases, uh, you know, the decision is still left to the plant operator. Uh, uh, and so, you know, how do we help the human get more intelligent, not just the machine? So that tends to be a focus area for the enterprise digitizers. And then we have progressive movements to full field analytics. So despite having mountains of data, you know, analytic implementation might only be restricted to some machines or to some plants, whereas the other plants might not be implementing them on a wholesome basis. So, you know, they are progressively upscaling to full field analytics where they can see the benefits of IoT across the entire spectrum of machines that they have. Uh, and then, you know, if we look at a customer success story, so we have two customer success stories over here. Uh, we have one for pneumatics and one for hydraulics. Uh, in the case of pneumatics, so the operational challenges that the end user faced was number one, the high energy cost because of poor compressor oper operation, overpressurization, and air leaks. Uh, 
Uh, it's often the case that compressors are actually sized much larger than they need to be, uh, purely based on the uh, fact that a lot of uh, uh, end users are not really entirely aware of uh, you know, pneumatic system design, and so they go with the highest uh, compressor that they, you know, highest power powered compressor that they can. Uh, so and then we have high maintenance costs. Uh, so insufficient air storage, improper use of compressed air, repeated shutdowns, these are all some of the operational challenges that, uh, you know, were cited uh, by the end user. And also facility managers found that compressed air systems are often unreliable. So, you know, in order to address this, you know, they needed information and they didn't have at the time. And so they turned to an IoT partner in order to solve some of these challenges. So the... The way it was implemented was there was an IoT platform that provided visualization of key data. So wireless sensors were installed uh, across the plant on the various equipment. And then this was connected to a cloud-based condition monitoring system. And the entire fluid power system was connected to an IoT gateway to enable analytics uh, and, and you know, storage and, and the whole IoT uh, implementation. So the results that was actually witnessed by the end user uh, you have you had increased efficiency and decreased downtime, so this uh, had a direct. This was a direct result of the fact that they were able to identify air leaks. They were able to improve compressor operation. Uh, they were able to, with the data, understand when the compressor did not need to run, uh, in order to you know vastly help reduce uh, energy consumption. And then it also augmented the manufacturer's revenue because they were able to charge a recording fee for additional services. And you know the subscription-based fee also reduced the end-user burden, therefore acting as a win-win scenario. And it also differentiated the manufacturer from their competitors uh, in the saturated market due to the value-added wireless uh, IoT solutions. So this was a service-driven success story. And then if you look at the next one, which is the hydraulics uh, customer success story, this is more of a product-driven success story where the end user, the biggest operating challenge for them was the fact that because uh, they had very challenging uh, inspection time, you know, they were they had to do it under challenging conditions early in the morning, so they were not able to properly assess their hydraulic hoses for damage or failure. This often resulted in their machines, their hoses being replaced much earlier or they're being replaced, they're not being replaced on time, and so that was both the cases were detrimental, and then hydraulic fluid leakage was unacceptable uh, because it could result in a shutdown of the facility, causing monetary and reputation damage. So in this case, uh, a diagnostic unit which provided actionable data was used. Uh, so sensors were used to continuously monitor these host conditions, and then the diagnostic unit uh, helped generate alerts whenever an the host damage was identified based on a number of parameters that were constantly being monitored. So this resulted in a data-driven replacement of hydraulic hoses rather than uh, you know, having it manually inspected. So this eliminated unwanted hydraulic hose replacements. It augmented the manufacturer's revenue because of the significant value that the end user acquired from this, and which reduced their total cost of ownership, and then uh, you know, which resulted in more implementation across various other facilities. And it also provided an IoT solution that was cost-effective but added great customer value, thereby you know, helping the manufacturer then propagate the solution to other end users. Uh, and then we have our final poll question for the day. Over to you, Anna. Thank you, Varun. Our last poll question, what are the digital services that are of paramount importance to your organization? 
So we'll leave this open and back to uh, Varun to go over the uh, the key takeaways, conclusions. Yes. So you know we come to the near to the end of the webinar where you know we are looking at the uh, so what Frost and Sullivan believes uh, is the last word and the con conclusion for this webinar. Uh, you know so. Fluid power industry we know is going to grow because of the proliferation of these IoT solutions. You know we've talked about a number of uh, we've talked about a couple of customer success stories. You know these are just a couple. There are so many other customer stories that are being uh, you know that are coming out every day with more implementation. And so this is going to definitely give a boost to the fluid power industry itself, uh, particularly in the case of brownfield uh, you know, IoT implementation. And then we have the digital ecosystem, which is going to develop because all the players in the value chain are going to be uh, contributing to this cost. So we have manufacturers bringing out more digital products. We have OEMs, uh, you know, in, so we have end users who are actually requesting more IoT solutions, more digital solutions, because they want to be able to improve their manufacturing processes, reduce their operating costs, and improve their bottom line. So this is eventually going to cause the OEMs to then seek out more of the digital solutions and push them onto the market. Uh, and then related to that, we're going to see upskilling of uh, the workforce because of the skill shortage that exists. Uh, you know, some of the existing uh, workforce is being upskilled to deal with you know the more digital solutions that are being pushed out, and then eventually with more fluid power programs uh, that are being. Uh, you know, taken by various governments, uh, we are expecting uh, more uh, skilled workers to join the fluid power industry in the, in the next five to six years. Uh, and then we also see new business models are going to emerge because selective analytics is going to gain popularity. This is no longer going to just be a hardware-driven industry where the hardware component costs are constantly coming down. Uh, because they're commoditized products, because they're competing with other, other manufacturers, and because sometimes there tends to be bulk uh, equipment purchases, people are driving and negotiating hard to reduce the price, uh, particularly when sometimes you have industries that go through cyclical downturns like oil and gas. Uh, but then this is where predictive analytics, this is where the software side of things is going to have a bigger opportunity uh, in order to create uh, you know, a recurring revenue stream. And Frost and Sullivan is uh, where we can help with this whole digital transformation is to act as the bridge between the OEMs, between the manufacturers, between the end users, because we speak to all of them, because we are, uh, you know, interacting with all of them. You know, we get this information, and we are there to help whoever uh, wants to grow. Uh, and then, yeah, that brings us to the end of the webinar. And over to you, Anna. Thank you, Varun. Okay, so we have about uh, five minutes left. So I'm going to go over the poll results quickly here. And so our first poll question, we asked, what stage is your organization in with respect to the IoT implementation? 100% of our audience indicated implemented recently. Our second poll question, we asked about the biggest challenges you face in developing and delivering digital solutions. So we have, uh, it's a split. 40% of our audience indicate cost prohibitive and customer reluctance, and then 20% indicate there's resource constraints, there's a skill shortage. So, and then our last poll question, we asked, what are the digital services that are of paramount importance? 
to your organization, and 100% of our audience indicated predictive maintenance. So those are the results. I uh, had just one question here from our audience regarding um, slides and, and recording. So the on-demand uh, session, for those that have just uh, joined us, the on-demand session will be available shortly after we finished. At that time, um, the recording is available along with the, um, the slides inside the recording. So um, at this point, I don't see any questions here, so I'm going to end the session. Um, I just want to thank everyone for joining us today. And if there is any further uh, queries, anything for Varun, I will post his contact details on the, uh, on the screen at this time. Please get in contact with him by phone or email. And uh, thank you again, and enjoy the rest of your day.